Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them, or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that, may, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. We've been studying the book of Exodus, and after the Lord rescued his people from their slavery in Egypt, and then before he brought them into the promised land, he first took them to a mountain in the wilderness called Mount Sinai, where his glory appeared to them in the form of fire and lightning and smoke and thunder. God called Moses to ascend the mountain, and then God gave Moses his law. Now, the, uh, the Mosaic law, as it's sometimes called, uh, actually begins in the passage that we've just read today. Exodus chapter 20 begins with the Ten Commandments, and then it goes on for several more chapters in the book of Exodus. Um, more law is given in the book of Leviticus, and then more is given in the book of Numbers, and then even more law is given in the book of Deuteronomy. So when you read the Bible, you'll discover that the law that God gave through Moses really makes up a large section of the Old Testament. Now, when you get to the New Testament, we're told that there are certain parts of the Mosaic law that no longer apply to Christians today. For example, all the, all the laws that you see there concerning uh, the, the governing of society in ancient Israel, like the punishments for certain crimes, the procedures that judges were to follow as, as they uh, processed certain cases. All of those um, civil laws have been abrogated in the New Testament. That means they, they, they are no longer in effect. When, when Jesus told us 
give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And when Paul, Romans 13, told Christians to be subject to the governing authorities, they, they, they were telling us that as Christians, our job is not to try to take over the government in our land and kind of try to reinstitute some ancient theocracy. We are to be the best citizens we can, submit as best we can to whatever are the rules of the government where we live. So when, just know this, when you study the Mosaic law, all those civil laws are no longer in effect. Now, you could say the very same thing about the ceremonial laws. You may know that uh, many, many of the Mosaic laws deal with the sacrificial system in the ancient tabernacle and with all the Jewish holidays that revolved around that and, and also with all the, uh, the kind of regulations for ritual purity that would govern which people could go to the tabernacle and worship God, like what foods you should eat, what clothing you should wear, things like that. Um, Jesus and the apostles told us that those ceremonial laws are also no longer binding for Christians today. Uh, Mark chapter 7 says that Jesus declared all foods clean. So Christian, you can eat whatever you want. Uh, that may not be advisable, but there's no law against eating what you want, right? And then you'll find New Testament epistles like Galatians, Colossians, the, basically the whole book of Hebrews just designed to tell us that these ceremonial laws and these laws for, for kind of uh, personal purity by what you eat and things like that, um, these are no longer in effect. Why? Because they were all fulfilled through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the New Testament will tell us that in the Mosaic law, the, the, the civil laws that you find there, the ceremonial laws that you find there, they're canceled, all right? They're not in effect anymore. But there's another kind of law that you find running throughout the whole legal body that God gave to Moses. And the New Testament tells us that these laws still do apply to us today. These are, the, I guess you'd call them the moral laws that are reflected in, in the Ten Commandments. Just, these are just basic rules of human ethics that, that address how we relate to other people, how we relate to God. Those kinds of laws were never canceled in the New Testament. In fact, you, if you read uh, the, the, uh, the teachings of Christ and the apostles, you'll find that they, they repeated every one of the Ten Commandments, except for the Sabbath one, which changes a little bit for Christians. But these moral principles, these moral laws are still in effect. I'm sure you'd agree with me that it's still wrong to lie, wouldn't you? And it's still wrong to commit adultery. It's still wrong to worship idols. So these are the kinds of laws Jesus was talking about when he said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. He just said there, there are certain um, universal ethical principles that God designed to govern human life and they've always been there and they always will be there. So I hope that helps you read the law of Moses. A question that you might ask when you look at the law, especially the, the Ten Commandments, the moral law, what are we supposed to do with the law as Christians? Now, First, first Timothy 1 verse 8 says, the law is good if one uses it properly. You don't want to misuse the law. How, how, how are we supposed to use the Ten Commandments, use the moral law of God? Well, here's what I want to do with the time I have left today. I just want to, I want to tell you one 
wrong way to use the law, okay? You don't want to do it. And then two right ways for us to use it. So we'll start with the wrong, the wrong way to use God's law, the Ten Commandments. Don't use the law as a ladder. In other words, don't, don't use God's moral principles as a way for you to try through your effort to climb up into God's good favor. You, listen, you can't, um, you can't climb to heaven by obeying the law. All right? You, you, and in fact, God's law was never intended to be used that way. I don't know if you've ever been in a, like a small group Bible study or a, a Sunday school class, and, and a, a well-meaning Christian will say something like this. They'll say, in, in the New Testament, we are saved by grace, but in the Old Testament, they were saved by keeping the law. Have you ever heard something like that? That's wrong. That's, that's not true. Listen, no one in the history of this planet has ever been saved by keeping God's law. Um, and you see that? You see that the law was never intended to be a way for us, anyone, to earn their salvation. You see that in verses 1 and 2 of this passage. Let, let me read these, these verses for us. Um, this is before God gave them the commandments. It says this, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God. Notice he doesn't say, I could be the Lord your God if you prove you're good enough. No, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he gives them the commandments. So when did God give Israel the Ten Commandments? After, after he had already rescued them from their bondage. It's not, it's not like, you know, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They're suffering under Pharaoh's oppression. And, and then God came down to them and said, here are my ten rules. If you guys prove to me that you can keep these rules, then I will save you from your slavery. That, that's not what happened. God, listen, God came down and he saved them from their slavery. He rescued them. before. Listen, before they had, had done even heard of the laws before they'd done anything to prove that they could obey him God just by grace reached into their situation and rescued them so first he saved them then he gave them the commandments right now it's true if you read the Old Testament you'll see that the the, the future blessings kind of the physical blessings in the promised land they were to some degree contingent on the people's obedience to the law but deliverance from Egypt salvation from their slavery that was that was never contingent on anything it was a gift god gave them it was an act of god's grace i guess you would say that the commandments were given to israel to show them how to thrive under god's covenant but the, the commandments were never given as a condition for entering the covenant it's the same way with us today god doesn't god doesn't give you a bunch of rules and say if you keep these i'll let you be one of my people doesn't do that. Comes to you through Jesus and says, here I am. I'm your father. Come home. And then he gives the law, right? So the moral law is not a ladder. Don't use it that way. Don't let anyone beat you up with it. Like, you need to be a good person so God will love you. Don't let them do that. Here's why. Romans 3 verse 20 says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Why? Romans 3.23 says, because all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. So none of, none of us, and I don't care how good you are. Some of you are really good people, all right? Some of you, I don't know. But some of you are really good. None of us 
will ever obey God's law faithfully enough to merit God's acceptance. We never will. I mean, if you look at, if you look at the Ten Commandments, you don't even have to look very deeply to realize, man, you, you, you can't live up to this. For example, the first commandment is, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, God says, you shall never, not even for a second, ever in your life put anything, anything ahead of God in your devotion to him. How many of, of us have broken that one before breakfast today, right? Or the, there's the, the, the ninth commandment says, you shall not lie, you shall speak the truth. Have you ever broken that? Of course you have. We all have. The fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother. I think that's probably the first commandment I ever broke. Maybe it was for you, too. I think I wasn't even two years old. I already broke that commandment, rebelling against my parents' authority. So, so you see what the, the point. We all fall short. There's no one that can climb their way into heaven. Don't, don't use it as a ladder. And you might be asking, well, are you saying, Pastor, that everyone in this world is equally bad? No, I'm not saying that. Listen, in, in, in compa compared to the rest of humanity... There are some people who are better than others, all right? I've, I've known some people who are far, just better human beings than I am. And compared to the rest of humanity, some people are worse than others. There are people who are worse than you. But compared to the holiness of God, Psalm, Psalm 14, verse 3 says, There is no one who does good, not even one. I've heard, or I've heard that concept illustrated this way. If we... Let's say this summer when it gets warmer, we have a church outing to the beach, and we all go to the beach. Everyone gets in the water, and the lifeguard says, okay, when I blow the whistle, I want you all to swim to, uh, to Europe, right? Um, some of us would probably drown, you know, within about 50 feet. Some of us might make it 100 yards, 200 yards. Some of you are good swimmers. You might make it a mile. But no one would make it. No one. It, it would just be folly to even try. And it's, it's folly to try to climb the ladder of the law in, into God's presence. All right? Um, so I just would say, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if anyone ever gave the impression. Some people have this thought that the Bible is a book of rules for you to follow, to try to be a good person so that God will love you. You ever hear that, that line about the Bible? That's not true. It's not true. The, listen, the Bible is a message of God who rescues, rescues helpless, broken sinners by grace. It's all, he's always operated that way. In fact, when you, when you see the gospel of Jesus Christ, here's what you find out. Listen, guys, God is so committed to grace that he sent his son into this world to, to rescue anyone and everyone who will just simply trust in him. Have you ever trusted in Jesus? I mean, just recognize before God that you are a sinner, but that you're going to trust Jesus to be your Savior. Let me tell you something. If you, if you haven't done that, you could do that today, all right? And if you have done that, then let me tell you what Jesus did for you. Through his life of obedience, Jesus fulfilled every law that you've ever failed, failed to obey. And Jesus, through his death on the cross, he atoned for every sin you've ever committed. So you don't, you don't even need to try to climb a ladder into heaven. Why? Because Jesus already climbed down the ladder to you. 
So it's just one wrong way to use the law, and it happens so often in, in religious circles where we, we beat other people up with the law or we beat ourselves up with the law, like this is a way to get God to love you. It was never intended to be used that way. So the wrong way to use the law, don't use it as a ladder. Okay, now two, two right ways to use it. Do use God's moral law as a mirror. A mirror. Okay, so if your face is dirty right now, you may not be aware of that. You're wondering why we're all staring at you with these weird looks. Like we're trying to figure out what in the world did you eat for breakfast today? What's hanging on, on your chin? You know, you may not be aware of it. Uh, but if you go down to, downstairs to the bathroom and you look into the mirror, you will instantly see where you need to be cleansed, where you need to be washed. Right? God, listen, God's law does that for us. Romans 3 verse 20 says, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Through, through the Ten Commandments, we just, so just as a mirror will reveal the dirtiness of your face, God's law will reveal areas of impurity or selfishness or unbelief in your life, right? I mean, if you, if you, uh, if you really study the Ten Commandments, I mean, not just... Um, what they say, but you see how the Bible expounds them, what they really mean, the heart of them. Listen, when I've studied the Ten Commandments, here's what I realized. I've broken every one of them. Every, perhaps not with my actions, but certainly in my mind or in my heart. Like you're saying, who did you murder, Pastor? Listen, Jesus said, if you've, if you've hated and despised somebody, that's like murder in your heart. I've been guilty of that, right? So, the law will just show us selfishness, sin, that might otherwise be in a blind spot. We would never notice. It just reveals that to us. Now, why, why, does, God, why does God like to show us our sin? He doesn't use the law to reveal your sin because he wants to make you feel bad. He doesn't use the law to reveal your sin even because he wants you to try harder. That's not why. He uses the law to reveal your sin. Why? So that you will run to Jesus, be forgiven. Like if you, you listen, if you look in the bathroom mirror and you see that your face is dirty, what do you do? You turn on the water. If you look in the law and see that your heart is dirty, what should you do? Turn to the Savior. Turn to Christ. Amen. Let Him wash you and cleanse you. Now you can kind of see that the law in this passage was beginning to have that effect on people. Did, did you notice verse 18 and 19? It says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and spoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Verse 21, the, the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So in other words, as soon as, listen, as soon as these people realized how holy God was when they saw his glory and how sinful they were when they heard his law, their instinctive response was to say, we need a mediator. We can't just walk into God's presence. We need, we need Moses. Why don't you go up there and represent us? We need, a, we need a mediator, someone to stand between us and God. And you know what? That's the way the law works as a mirror. It shows you your sin until you say, you know what? I need a savior. I need, I, I'm not. So God doesn't give you his law to tell you to try harder. You could say it this way. He gives you his law to tell you to give up. 
and trust in Jesus. Like you look in the mirror, you see the dirt, you turn on the water, you turn to the Savior, you're clean. So one good way to use the law is as a mirror. Let me just say this. The law will function as a mirror when you come to Jesus for the first time in your life. I mean, it might be that you've never thought of yourself as really a sinner. Yeah, I know I'm not perfect, but I wouldn't say I'm a sinner. But then you begin to read the Bible, and you realize, man, I need a Savior. And you come to Christ, and you trust in Him for the first time in your life. It will function as a mirror. Let me ask you this. Do you only need to look in the mirror one time in your life, and then you're good for, you know, like January 1st, I look in the mirror, that's good for the rest of the year. No. I'm assuming you look in the mirror every day. Maybe some of you are always looking in the mirror. I don't know about that. But, but you look in the mirror every day to just kind of see, is my hair combed? Are my teeth clean? And, and then you let it cleanse your life. And so as Christians, a way to grow spiritually is not to look for some kind of super magic experience in your life that's going to change it. Just every day, listen, every day, let the Word of God reveal sinfulness in you. And then take it to Jesus every day. Just repent and Jesus, forgive me, cleanse me. I was so unkind to so-and-so yesterday. I was so selfish yesterday. Forgive me. And and when you do that, believe you're clean. And here's what happened. That doesn't sound very exciting, but you do that every day over the course of a lifetime, man, will God use it in your life. So one way to use the law is as a mirror. That's a good way. Another good way to use the law is as a map, okay? Um, so next Sunday, you know what next Sunday is? Next Sunday is Mother's Day. You're welcome, all right, if you had forgotten. Next Sunday is Mother's Day, and it may be that you're thinking of shopping for a, a card or a gift, a gift to your mother. And, you know, why do, why are you, why do you want to get your mom a, a Mother's Day gift? Huh? Is it because you feel guilty if you don't? She'll nag you for the rest of the year? Why, maybe. I believe, however, that most of you, the reason you want to get your mom a Mother's Day gift it's because you love your mom. You just love your, she's not perfect, but you love your mom, right? And, and so people who are shopping for Mother's Day cards, Mother's Day gifts, here's what, they're, here's what they're asking. How would I show my mom that I love her? Now, Christians go through life asking a very similar question. Christians love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? So Christians go through life just asking how... How can I show Jesus that I love him? Can't send him a card. I wouldn't know what to get as a gift. How, how can I show him that I love him? Somebody said, well, here's how, you, here's how Christians show Jesus that they love him. You read the Bible every day, and you read it a lot. Well, it's a good idea to read the Bible. I recommend it. But you remember that the scribes and the Pharisees? Guys, they read the Bible more than anyone in this room, and they did not love Jesus. Someone says, well, okay, here's the way you show Jesus you love him. You get really, really, really involved in church. You sign up for every activity. You, work, you function on every team. You help out wherever. Listen, do that, all right? But that's not the way you show Jesus you love him. I mean, Judas, Judas left his job and went into full-time Christian ministry. I mean, talk about getting involved, right? He didn't love Jesus. So how do you show Jesus? How would you show him that you're grateful? And he loves you so much, and you're grateful that he gave his life for you, and you're so, you're just, that you love him. Here's what Jesus said, John 14, verse 15. He said, if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. In other words, he said obedience to the law, not, not you know, theological studies or, or church activity or even deep emotions in a worship service. He said obedience to God's law. That's the way Christians demonstrate their love and their gratitude for God. And so that's why I say use the law as a map. What is a map? What does a road map do for you? A map will show you how to get from where you are, right, to where you want to be. As a Christian, if you've met Christ, I know, I know where you want to be. You want to be the same, at the same place I want to be. You want to see your life grow and mature so that more and more with your thoughts, with your attitudes, with your actions, with your love, you bring glory to Jesus. So well, how, where's the map? How do I get from where I am to where I want to be? The map is the law. The Ten Commandments just is a wonderful way for um, guiding you as a Christian to, to know how to live for the, the glory of your Savior. So if you study the commandments, study the law, it will show you how to live a life of sexual purity. It will show you how to have integrity in your speech so that what you say is true and accurate and, and brings healing to people. It will show you how to relate to those who are in authority over you. It will show you how to, how to worship God, how to honor his name. The law, it will just show you how to put God first in your life and live for his glory. So you could just say this, the law is a map that shows you how to demonstrate your love for Jesus. Now, does that mean it's always going to be easy to obey the law because it just springs from our love for Jesus? Man, I don't want to give that impression because you might leave here saying, what in the world is wrong with me? I'm finding obedience difficult. Listen, even if you love, even though you love Jesus, can we just be honest about this? Sometimes obedience will be hard. Sometimes forgiving someone who's hurt you will be really hard. Sometimes fighting against certain temptations will be really hard. Sometimes going back to someone and telling them the truth or, or, or what, whatever it might be will be really, really hard. In fact, Jesus, Jesus told us that. He, Jesus described the life of discipleship this way. He said it, it is denying yourself and taking up your cross daily. In other words, Jesus said even though you love him, there will be times when obedience will feel like you are dying. So here's a question I want to close on. When you hit those moments as a believer and you're finding obedience difficult, how, how would you motivate yourself to obey Christ anyway? Well, let me, let me just point out something. I quoted for you before John 14, verse 15. Jesus said, he said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. But notice, he did not say, if you obey my commandments, I will love you. Mm -mm. Christian, he already loves you. He's loved you before you were born. He's loved you from all eternity. His love for you is settled. It is established. He proved it when he died on the cross. So you say, well, how does that help? Here's how, all right, here's how it helps me obey him in those hard times. I just kind of say to myself, wait a minute. If Jesus loved me that much... That before I ever obeyed any command, when I was lost and, and, and far from him in sin, he gave his life for me. You know what? I can trust him. He's asking me to do something hard right now, but I can just trust anyone who loves me that much. He's, he's got my well-being in mind. And I don't know if it helps you. Man, does that help me. He didn't say, 
if you obey my commandments, I will love you. No, he does love you. And he says, let that encourage you to obey. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your laws. They are good. And you give them with good intentions so that they will guide us, show us where we need forgiveness, where we need to grow. We pray that they will lead us to Jesus, to trust him fully, and that they will produce your good work in our hearts and in our lives. In Christ's name.